0: So I'm thankful for the scars Cause without them I would know your heart Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to Another brand new episode of Spiraling. We're on episode number 10 now. We're really getting into it, folks. Uh, we have a, a very special guest here. It's not just me and Jason. We're not going to bore you guys to death. So we have a special guest, Rich. What was your last name? Rosen. Time? Rosen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: so Rich Rosen is here with us. He is a uh, professor at um, Houston Community College. Houston Community College. And i yes. uh, got a master's in rehab counseling, and I've uh, got an LCDC, which is licensed chemical dependency. Counselor in the yeah. state of Texas
0: oh very cool very very cool so we have we have a we have a very smart person here with <laughs> us here, here this afternoon I'm actually uh, if there's a little bit of uh, discrepancy in the audio please forgive us I'm actually here in person with Jason uh, in Houston so Jason thank you for welcoming me welcoming me into your home and Rich, thank you for for coming on man we really do uh, appreciate it thanks for joining us well you're welcome okay very cool. Um, but, uh, I'm sorry, Jason. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, Rich. Maybe you can kind of you know give our listeners and give us a little bit of uh, your background and uh, uh, who you are.
1: Okay. Uh, so as said, my name is Rich Rosing. I've got a background in rehab counseling and also LCDC, and I've been an instructor at Houston Community College now in the Human Service Program, which trains people primarily for uh, the the most of the people come into the program to become licensed chemical dependency counselors. Wow. Yeah. And I teach, the. I've taught all the courses, I've been department chair for about 15 years in the past. I've now stepped back to be the faculty and the principal. uh, Courses that I teach now are the basic counseling course, motivational interviewing, and also the prevention of substance abuse courses and that. And so my background is that when I came to, after I got my degree, I came to Houston And I was working at anything at that time, just to have a job, and then I got the opportunity and got employed at a treatment center down in Alvin, Texas, and during that time, I was... uh, Primarily, I started out as the evaluation counselor, but went through the various things and ultimately became the family counselor. Okay. And I was also the continuing care counselor. And the family counselor, we'd have people come in for a week's time, and I would have the families in the morning, and then the clients would come in the afternoon. It was both an adolescent and adult treatment center. And, you know, uh, from there I went to another treatment center that dealt with, just strictly adolescence but that was both substance abuse and mental health issues, and ran the family program, continuing program there. And then from there, I ended up getting an opportunity because I want to impact the field more, and I went into yeah. the instruction area so that because uh, I saw a lot of people that I, I felt were in the field that weren't as qualified as they should be, yeah. And I thought by becoming an instructor, I would have a much greater impact to make sure the people that were going into the field were better prepared to really affect change than what I had seen at the time. Yeah. Very, very cool.
0: Yeah, so uh, way overqualified to be <laughs> on our, on our podcast here with us. Um, we were talking a little bit in the pre show, just kind of about like uh, that family care, uh, family treatments. Uh, do you mind kind of giving a little bit of background? Uh, with yeah, that kind of going in depth because that that's really fascinating to me, like the the dual treatments. Yeah.
1: So part of when I was in uh, working in the treatment centers, we had a what was called a family week. Okay, And given around the third week of someone's particular treatment, anywhere from two and a half to four, three three and a half weeks of treatment, we would have the families come in. And I would come in, and they'd be there for a week. And in the mornings, I would work with them. They'd get a series of lectures just about the dynamics and issues with families. In yeah. the afternoons, the families would then be reunited with their identified patient. We'd work yeah. to kind of reconciliation bring out some... honesty about what had been going on. But part of the thought process there was to really help give the families some tools that they could work with and and do that. And the idea was is that so often uh, families would be kind of just left out there and the client, their identified patient is getting treatment and then the identified patient goes back in the home but the family hasn't done any changing. Right. And there's a disconnect and it's kind of you know what I liken it to is a play where this play had been going on for a long time, mm-hmm. and now some of the actors in the play got new lines, and they come home wanting to practice their new lines. Yeah. And the family is totally no.
0: Right now they don't know that there's we, new lines in the play. Yeah, yeah. We
1: don't know how to deal with this. Let us go back to the old script that we know. Yeah. And so often, and there's you know typically a lot of distrust. And, and the other part with that is there wasn't going to be any significant. Treatment, so to speak, in in a week's time, you're just not going to get that. But what I what I we hope to accomplish was those ah aha's. What do we need to work on from here? Okay, Uh, just like treatment change doesn't really happen in treatment. Change happens after someone leaves treatment and they try to start integrating into the, their lives. Yeah, Treatment itself is just kind of looking at those aha moments and all that. And then yeah. afterwards, it's how do you apply those in your life is really what recovery is about. And then with the idea of families, we really stress the idea is the families can get well even if the patient doesn't. Okay. And the patients can get well even if the family does it. Yeah. However, both can get much better if both the family and the identified patient are working to get well together. Yeah, And both are moving forward on a different path. Uh, you know, stumbling, moving forward, really working together on the new dynamics and the new change because it is going to be a different way of approaching and interacting with each other and so the family weeks and then even even then we had, you know, a lot of treatment centers would talk about aftercare and we didn't talk about aftercare, we talked about continuing care to where the families would be able to come to a place afterwards and the continuing care is the whole idea of and historically we have in this country treated substance abuse which is a chronic issue, as an acute issue, we send them into a treatment center, they get well, and then we drop them off and say, good luck. And if you happen to relapse or do something, come on back, we'll treat you again doing the same thing. Yeah, just go over and and over again. the model at the treatment centers that I worked at was the concept of continuing care. Yes, there was the intensity of treatment, Mm -hmm. but there was this ongoing care that was there to help you try to integrate your new concepts and your new ideas into your life. And so it was a continuing care. It wasn't aftercare. It was part of the care.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, see, I really think the the whole family aspect is fascinating to me. Cause like you said before, like, you know, we could send this guy off to a treatment center and I mean, we don't know really what's going on, but if we work on it together, you know, we kind of avoid that disconnect. Um, was there anything specific that um, uh, you really found like that, that kind of helped bring about those aha moments Like like a specific exercise or something that they did together, Activity.
1: I, um, I think it's really kind of listening to them and validating them. And you know, yeah. one of the things for the families because we also did a family night where they would come in and you know we just kind of process with them. Now I would often tell the families that they more often not ask the wrong question. Okay. You know, as far as for the families and the. So often, the families would come in and they'd say, you know, how is my patient going to be different after the treatment? And my response to them is, that's the wrong question. The question for you is, how are you going to be different? Okay, yeah. Because you are the only person that can change, have control over you. Let the client work on their issues, you work on yours, and hopefully between the two of them that they can then kind of work together. You know, I, I think it was just a combination of lectures, just talking about the dynamics. Um you know, where you have the visual would be where you yeah, have the client. The client is wrapped around pretty long, well, pretty tight around their yeah. substance, whatever that is. And part of treatment is unlocking them from being wrapped around their, the, the substance. For family members, part of the issue is they've been wrapped around and they their whole life has been obsessed with their client. They you know, are monitoring the phone to wonder what the client's doing. They're checking up. They're you know, their whole life is, you know, the phone rings was at the client. Everything revolves yeah. around them. And it's the I in Family Week is trying to help them detach from that, you know, okay. in a in a caring way. It's not like you don't care what's going on, sure, but that you're not living your life in breathing everything around that particular person. And I think family members all of a sudden get a sigh of relief of saying, wait a minute, their sobriety is not my responsibility. You know, uh, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to do this. They're responsible for their life. And I think there's... Uh, I think the aha moment is that they have been under a tremendous amount of pain Mm -hmm. of, you know, watching what's been going on with their client and all the concern and the worry and wondering if they're going to make it home. And then I think the aha moment is the awareness of saying, wait a minute, I need to free myself from my pain. Yeah. And I need to let go of that so that I can heal my own way. And then also, in many ways. Ways then give the client their space to let them work on to let them work on so. it and not be hovering over them so much yeah. and come to the realization that both people and their both entities the, the family in the client are going to have their ups and downs. It's not just a steady flow, march forward. There's going to be, you know, just two steps forward, one step. And to be accepting of it. But again, uh, that's really hard for families because so often their trust has been betrayed and, you know, promises have been made. And they're so looking back, oh, it's just like it was. But no, just relax. Let, you know, let it move forward.
0: Yeah. Wow, wow. Please forgive kind of my ignorance here, but uh, you mentioned like the different kind of substances that um, that you're working with your clients. Is it just specifically alcohol or drugs? No, is it kind of a mix? Uh,
1: you know, there, there is the person that um, has substance use disorders. And, you know, even that, the language has changed over the course of time. Yeah. Because historically we used to call people addicts and all that other stuff and that has just a pejorative term to it that you know so many negative aspects to that and even now uh, there's a movement for people in the that are in recovery that are talking about the idea of instead of saying I'm an alcoholic and identifying with all that part of it to be talking about I'm a person in long-term recovery Okay. And so they're focusing more on their recovery and what that's doing for them versus the past of what they were taught yeah. in there. And and not forgetting where they came from, but really recognizing why they're doing it is what they can do. Because a person in long term recovery is a better parent, is a better spouse, is a better employee, is a right. better employer. And so really looking at that. But the yeah so the whole idea though is to looking at people with substance use disorders because we are recognizing the neurochemical aspects of that and again there's been such a negative aspect when people are saying well you're an addict and then all these horrific things yeah. and descriptions come up mm-hmm. And instead of saying, wait a minute, you've got a substance use disorder, there's some stuff that's going on, and we can treat a substance use disorder. Yeah, the substance use disorder may have caused you to do a lot of uh, less than wonderful things in your life and the, for those around you, but you have an issue that we can treat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you find like in the I guess like the, the approach is the approach the same to different patients depending on alcohol abuse or uh, different substances? Or is there like
1: I mean, I think it's not so much the approach is the same or different. Yeah. Based on what substances that they are. Okay. But I think it really needs... The approach needs to be different based on who they are. And like so often what we have done is in the past, we've had this canned approach. Mm-hmm. And this is how you're going to get treated. Right. And if you don't get well with that treatment, it's kind of well then it's your fault versus having someone kind of come in there and say what treatment works best for you. Right, personally. You well know, what in in you know certainly the twelve steps have dominated treatment in the industry for years, but we're finding out there are a variety of approaches that work just as effectively. Uh, there's smart recovery. There's Buddhism for recovery, which is refuge recovery. There's well-being, uh, the, which is for Native American. There's women for sobriety, which is for women. All uh, There's smart recovery. All these recoveries have sprung up in one part because the traditional model didn't work, right. but they found these others working for it. And so we're finding that there are many paths to recovery. And as a, as a person that, and again, what I want to make this very clear, this is in no way anti-AA because I think AA and the 12 steps have helped tremendous number of people. Yeah. You know, I've got family members that have been in recovery. But as a treatment provider, I should not be there imposing one set of treatment. My goal should be to help them get well and find out which type of supplemental recovery program works best for them that they would be more likely to connect to. And then there's there's the other idea of it doesn't have to be an either or. There's nothing out there that says somebody can only use one kind of recovery support system. Right. I mean, I've got a group of friends that I do one thing with and another group of friends I do another thing with I get different aspects why can't that be in recovery to where people use different groups to get different aspects of that Uh, one of the other areas uh, that I didn't mention was celebrate recovery which is a faith based program so you've got all these uh, recoveries and the task should be to kind of find out so I think we we have talked in the past about individualized treatment Mm -hmm. I don't think we've done that very much Uh, I think it's a movement that we are starting to recognize that uh, what are your needs and how do I best need to go about working with you and what recovery program would best support you. And the other part is because uh, what one person's issues that may be there in their life is going to be different than someone else's. I need to find out what their core issues are and based on that deal with them so it's I, I think it's really trying to do that individualized treatment and having the clinical skills necessary to be able to recognize what each person needs versus having these canned approaches trying to get yeah. everybody through this one slot mm-hmm. and when that doesn't fit then we blame them well they're just not ready yet
0: Right, and then, yeah, obviously. And then they not.
1: leave, and then we'll say, well, when you're ready, come on back, you know, instead of really trying to find out what's best for them.
0: Right, yeah, to kind of fine-tune it to the... That, that person that personality yeah. yeah I think that's absolutely that's absolutely fascinating to me I like I like that approach way um, a lot better
1: and, and the other part that I think is gaining more and more credibility and the science is there behind it is called medication assisted treatment and some people re- okay. also refer to medication assisted recovery um, for years, we've had people in various programs, perhaps seeing medicine without a license, telling people what medication they can or can't take. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I, sometimes that doesn't work. And you know, there's some people, you know, Jason, as you well know, that needs some medication uh, for for some other issues that they need to be taking those while they're also on their path to recovery. And in the past, we'd sit there and say, no, you're not allowed to take them. Well, that destabilizes the client. It's just crazy. It's like, wait a yeah. minute. And we do know that there are some things that can take the edge off of a lot of addiction. And you know, if we do that, that's fine. And really looking, uh, really changing the scope of What we consider recovery in terms of uh, the whole aspect of recovery is what the person identifies it as and not impose our view of recovery on them. Yeah, this is what recovery should be. This is what recovery should be in that. And even if you go to SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, when it talks about recovery, it's really talking about, in its definition, a quality of life and uh, self-led by the client. Mm-hmm. It's not mentioning anything about abstinence. Right. It's just really talking about the improvement of the quality of life. Yeah. And the improvement of the quality of life for that particular for person. For that particular person in a self-directed way, which means the client gets to determine their own path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Self-fulfilling.
2: Yeah. There were were several treatment centers that uh, I think you were involved in in the process of trying to pick them out for me during my addiction, but um, there were several that, in order for me to become a patient, I had to get off of all my medication, and I can't do that. I have a dual diagnosis of bipolar, and you take me off my medication.
1: Uh, it doesn't look good.
2: It, it's not, not good. It most of the time it's not good anyways. But,
1: <laughs>
2: but you get me off my meds, and uh, yeah. But um, you know, I have a I have a great team now that um, that if if I'm struggling through something, you know, just recently I was having some anxiety issues, mm-hmm. and I was I called my doctor and I told him what I was feeling. And he worked with me um, over the phone and said, you know, are you feeling this, this, and going back and forth. And we determined that it was you know, strictly anxiety issues. Yeah. He gave me some pills for a couple of days. I slept um, and I felt much better. Um, but it was, it, it was a narcotic. Yeah. You know, in, in treatment, they say no narcotics, mm-hmm. but that's what I needed at the time. And, because of my bipolar right I, I have to I have to take those chances and it's not taking chances it's just that's what my body needs yeah um, but you know I, I go into those situations with with the narcotics as they're not long-term solutions're they short-term solutions
1: mm-hmm. Get me through what I'm going through right now get you through that acute crisis yes
2: yeah because there were several days I didn't sleep and I thought I was going through a manic phase. And um, uh, Dr. Thomas said, No, you're not going through many phases, anxiety issues, it's probably from the quarantine and everything else that you're going through. Um, So he gave me a couple pills and it came out okay. Uh, Yeah. And I'm I'm not, I I took the medicine as prescribed and I still didn't have the feeling of, Oh, I'm going to go abuse this medicine. That thought never crossed my mind. The thought, That crossed my mind
0: was, I need this in order to do that. We need to to get through this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, and part of one of the things that you're talking about there, Jason, that I think that certainly within substance use treatment that we need to really look at is integrated care. Okay. Uh, The idea of because most people that have substance use, and integrative care comes in multiple ways. Most people that have substance use issues also have other medical issues, whether, uh, you know, behavioral issues or physical issues that they need to work with. And our field historically in the past has been this kind of standalone kind of yeah. entity and a little silo of work. Right. And we need to look at, well, wait a minute, our patient may have all these other issues, and it's much better if while we're doing that we're working with their mental health professional, we're working with their doctors, we're working right. with that to have an integrated care and being part of a team that helps the client versus this Trying to dissect them into the, the their parts, and we'll yeah. deal with that part as if it's unrelated to the other parts of their body.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like it kind of brings it back to the uh, working with the family and right. have to integrate because it, even when you talk about your doctors, right, and uh, and, and even like your sponsors, like that, everybody needs to work together because if you don't, there's a disconnect between each one of them. Uh, yeah, and that doesn't and that doesn't help you anymore. No. Right, they're each trying to treat certain specific things and that's and it doesn't always add up yeah 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 <laughs> i like that
1: so it all
0: it all works and comes in and, and, and flows together Yeah, you know
2: and the one thing that i've had to um to really come to grips with is uh you know the the initial conversation i had with my doctor uh, just mm-hmm. recently was you know i'm going through these issues um and then his response is well I would like to talk to Chris and your wife and, and see her, her take mm-hmm. on it as well. Um, so she gets on the phone, she talks to him for a few minutes and then he gets back on and, and, you know, this is probably what you're going through, we're going to do this with your medication. Yeah. Um, but it's to be able to have that support that um, you, you can't, uh, you can't be scared to let other people talk to your doctors and right um, provide them
1: give them a more complete picture of what's going on yeah
2: because i see things in in my reality (laughs) my my reality is not uh not reality (laughs) (laughs) It's a little different thing well you know
1: (laughs) but it is but you know what i like to say is it is your reality but again there's multiple realities that are out there perceptions because we look at something you know in an example that somebody had posted is or had talked about as they held up this book and they said what do you see and yeah the the people out there was describing the color or in all the stuff on the front of the book mm-hmm. and the person sat there and says well that's you're not looking at the same book because I'm seeing this and they're describing the back cover of the book because that's their viewpoint right and they're both looking at the book but they're seeing it from different viewpoints yes and both are real in what they are seeing yeah, but they're because of the viewpoints are different. They're able to add to get a more complete picture of what is really inside that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, and,
0: and
2: the one the one good thing about the the team of uh, professionals that I have that that care for me on a day to day basis is um, they use the medication to their advantage. Um, so if I'm if I'm having an issue with. Um, being too tired all the time will wobble yeah. up my Adderall and provide me with something that will get me through the day. Yeah. If I can't sleep at night, well, they're going to give me something to sleep at night. Um, sleep is a big
0: factor in people's
1: recovery and, yeah. and, and health, period, for everybody. For yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, and I, <laughs> always, I always talk to you, Jason. I'm like, Jason, you got you to get some rest for me, man. <laughs> you got to try and get some sleep for me. You know?
2: Yeah. So it, it's interesting um, on different different aspects that, that people have uh, because there's still a lot of treatment centers that you, if, if you have bipolar and you go in and you're on medication, they're going to try to get you to change up your medication and get you to not stop taking the narcotics. Well, that's not meant, meant for everybody. Right. That, that's got to be judged on a case-by-case basis um there were some some people that i was in treatment with um they couldn't control themselves as far as going an hour without having to drink alcohol um there was one guy that that i i was trying to mentor a little bit and during that time alcohol wasn't a big contributor to to my addiction um and i was telling him that just Take it minute by minute. Yeah. And we would go out during lunch to a restaurant and eat over a margarita. I'm like, dude, you can't even go lunch without having a drink. You don't need to be in outpatient care. You need to be in inpatient care. Right. Um, but that's, that's how different people are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that you you just made reference to there that I think was really important is it's okay to try the least restrictive environment and then mm-hmm. when that doesn't work then okay let's go to a higher level of care yeah you know let's start at the least restrictive environment let, and then work our way up but, you know, we need to be able to offer the full spectrum of care to individuals. And I think that's one of the things that our country is sorely lacking uh, with in terms of universal health care to being able to provide yep. uh, treatment for both behavioral and substance use issues, uh, because it really impacts everybody. Uh, and to be able to provide people with a range. Because we know that if we, research has shown over and over again, if you provide people with the right kind of treatment in the length of treatment that they need, their likelihood of getting a recovery goes up. But if I, you know, give someone a very short dose of treatment when they Mm -hmm. really need a longer dose of treatment and then say treatment doesn't work, well, no, it doesn't work when you do it that short. Right. You know, what we need to do is to, again, that gets better to that individualized treatment of mm-hmm. uh, some people may need longer treatment, some people may need more inpatient treatment and yeah. to be able to identify what their needs are instead of saying you know, we are a CAN program, or this length, we're that length, and that. It's like, well, wait a minute. That, we need to start really... I mean, when I go to my physician for any other illness, mm-hmm. they're looking at me and they're adjusting my medication based on what's going on with me. They're having me come in more often when things are in acute area than when it's chronic or when it's, I mean, when it's well done. I went into my cardiologist last year. All the tests were good. It's like, okay, see you in a year you know right. you come in and all of a sudden things are going not so great with well, it. well geez I need to see you in another month okay right. mm-hmm. but you know, <sighs> again part of that within the whole substance use disorder treatment field we've had these canned approaches over the course of time and we haven't looked at the individuals you know so you worked with him there it's like, wait a minute, this isn't working. You need a different level of care and much longer than what the other person might need.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of going back to your instruction as a professor and finding out, you know, exactly how you, uh, how each individual responds to certain levels of care. How do we really find out and fine tune? And is, is it just as simple as just talking to them well, and figure it out? Is there a process to figure out what kind well,
1: of individualized care you need? It's listening to find out what. Their issues, you know, yeah. and one of the things that um, it's really listening yeah. and, and really kind of uh, trying to figure out, you know, I can have somebody who's, and we'll kind of do a little bit, I can have somebody who's unemployed, yeah, well, you know, that's great, but to find out what. How I need to fix that unemployment issue, I need to find out what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Is the person unemployed because they don't have any job skills? Well, then I need for that person I need to do job skills right. Is the person unemployed because the job market just went out and they now their profession no longer exists. Well, then I need to right. do retraining. Mm -hmm. You know, so just because they're unemployed, and then certainly if someone is unemployed, if they've been unemployed for two weeks, well, that's one issue. Sure. If they've been unemployed for five years, that's a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of just because they're unemployed, that's just the tip of the iceberg, I now need to find out more what effectively I need to do with that individual to help them seek employment, not have this canned approach, well, when people come in unemployed, this is what we do. And the same thing with substance use is, you know, what's the driving issues going on? What's the underlying uh, psychological stuff that may be following it? Uh, Certainly what we do know, and we were talking real briefly about the whole concept now of more of the trauma-informed care. Yeah. Uh, In recognizing that trauma and childhood is really connected for their the neural development in the brain. And right. um, so the idea is what do I need to do to work on to help them develop whatever trauma that they had in the past so I don't re traumatize them? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can only do that if I listen to them and if I ignore that and just say, well, this is what you do for treatment without really understanding kind of what may be that trauma underneath and working on that. I had a friend of mine. <clears throat> who, I mean, a year ago ago, went into treatment and, you know, he, he was going through divorce, had, you know, his child that was overwhelmed with expenses for college and, you know, had some other issues with special needs uh, child turning eighteen, yeah, uh, and wondering what to do with it. it. Was fully overwhelmed. Knew he had issues and all that, but they want to sit there and say, "No, let's ignore all that. We're going to do this." Well, wait a minute. You have to treat all those issues that yeah. are driving it, and you're only going to do that is if you listen to what that person is and gearing. Mm-hmm what my treatment and recovery is in the coping strategies to what issues they have going on in their life and not just do these blanket approaches.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what made you want to, uh, I know we were talking about it briefly in the pre-show, but what made you really want to uh, to be a professor, to, to, to give out that instruction?
1: Um, <laughs> it was one of those things to where... Uh, I was working in the field, and I thought that, uh, in, you know, I, I come from treatment programs that were heavily 12-step based, and, right. you know, again, I, I've moved beyond that, not that And again, I want to reiterate over and over because people don't hear that. I am fully supportive of the 12 steps, but just realize that they're not there for everybody. But I saw a lot of people that were in the field. And at that time in Texas, you could get in the field. The primary qualification for getting in the field was that you yourself are in recovery. And I know a lot of people that are in recovery. I don't want them working with my family at all. Yeah. You know, that yeah, that may be good for you. And uh, but it doesn't work for everybody and you need to develop clinical skills not just that history of it. And I got the opportunity to become an instructor at Houston Community College, and I thought that I would be able to impact the field far greater. I had a lot of people talk to me, you know, talk about, Rich, what are you doing? You know, I mean, you're so effective at what you're doing with the families and all this, why are you getting in there? And for me it was that I had the opportunity to have a broader impact on the field. Right. By getting people Trained at a higher level when they enter the field, thereby impacting uh, more individuals. And it's just so it's very, when I go to various places, uh, workshops or symposiums in the city, and all these former students come up to me and talk about what impact that I had, it was just, it's very gratifying for me to see them and to recognize, and all these people are just changing the field so it's yeah. great
0: making the world a better place Rich. i hope so absolutely absolutely um so uh, is there any like you know so you're in there you're teaching right you've been there for i think it was 30 close years. to 30 years close to 30 years. well that's a lot that's a that's quite a long yeah. time um so like what have been kind of your your big takeaways i mean other than just like you know getting that you know the gratification that's it
1: you know um, a couple of takeaways um <laughs> Some of my students are just testimonies to the human spirit. It's great. Uh, the although the classes aren't supposed to be therapy, they are therapeutic for a lot of it as we kind of look at ourselves mm-hmm. because as a, if you're going to get in the field in counseling, you have to really become self-aware of your own thoughts, processes, whatever's going on, your own intentions of why you're doing what you're doing, just various things. And over the course of time, people, they, they discuss their personal lives. Yeah. And Some of the hell that these people have been through, and some of the lives that they have been part of, and now they are in class, and that's where I talk about they're not, you know, they're they're people in long-term recovery. That long-term recovery is allowing them to be in the field. Right then you know and again I you know talked about that in the past that wasn't the only requirement that was the main requirement well it can help but you still have to because they have a the major issue to overcome cuz one of the things that I do Uh, As an exercise with the students, I have them write down, because I think everybody is on a path of recovery or discovery of their life, you know, moving forward and growing, whatever that may be. And there's usually certain things and events that happen in person's life that, you know, foster that and say, you know, I really want my life to be better. So I do an exercise to where I have them write down, on a sheet of paper, what event happened that all of a sudden you decided that your life needed to be better or whatever? And they write that down. I ask, is there a particular person in their life that was instrumental in them growing? Because I think we all have these people that have been very important in our lives that, uh, yeah. that helped us. And then there's other things of, you know, is there something that someone has said to you? that has really stuck in your head that has been, really stayed with you. And you may not have acted on it there, but just have stayed on you. Then on the fourth one, I tell them, put down whatever else that you think that may have been very important for you to be, you know, growing and doing whatever you need to. So, you know, I make sure they don't put their names on it. And then I have them turn the papers in and I scramble them up and I turn them, Passed all the papers That's back out are. so that they're reading someone else's story, and they're reading it. And I said, "How many people got the exact same thing back to them?" And they said, "No." I said, well, some similar. I said, "Okay, some." But how many got the exact same thing? And I tell them, you know, okay. So the moral of the story, the moral of the story is to try to find out what's on their sheet of paper, and not give them yours. Yeah. And I think so often treatment has been people trying to give them their sheet of paper, their story and telling them they're supposed to recover that way. Right. Instead of really trying to find out what's on their sheet of paper, what's the important things in their life to recover.
0: Yeah, imposing their this yeah. is what worked for me, this is how you're supposed
1: to do it. Right, to find out what works for them. Yeah. And to really at that point in time uh, you know, and there's, you know, family members. There's other people that, you know, are in there and wanting to hurt and realizing that uh, this class isn't about saving their family members. It's about helping other people. And if they're in here just to specifically try to save their family member, that's not going to work either. Yeah. If they're in here because they're trying to give other people their sheet of paper, that's not going to work either. That it's really a process of... And, you know, for me, the class that I'm teaching now has been uh, really neat because people start talking about, for the first time in their life, they're really learning how to listen to other people. Because most of the time when we listen to other people, we're only listening enough to be able to respond to them and tell them what we want them to say. Yeah. And we're not really hearing their story. And we're not really trying to understand their world, but and many times trying to listen to their world so that we can tell them how we view their world instead of really trying to listen to what their world has been like for themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, um, you know, and I'll just kind of throw out here, you know, like um, with what's going on today, Right. With the unrest that's going on. Mm -hmm. Part of what I truly believe is the part of the issue here is very few of us have taken the opportunity to really sit down to someone who is not like us to listen to what their world has been like, without trying to dismiss it, or try no, no about you know in that, right. but to really listen to what their world is like, and I've been very fortunate with my education and where I've worked. Excuse me to uh, be surrounded by just such a diverse group of individuals. Yeah. I mean across the spectrum, and for me, one of the greatest aspects and privileges that I've had is to be able to sit down and listen to their world, their environment, yeah. You know, what their experiences have been, not to try to dismiss them, but to try to understand them and to really work to understand. And and so when I take it back to the treatment, if somebody was sexually abused as kind of that precursor to a lot of stuff, I need to find out how the sexual abuse impacted them. Yeah. Not how it impacted all these other people, but how it really impacted them. Mm -hmm. If they came from a situation with domestic violence, I need to find out how it impacted them, not how it impacts everyone in that. And so certainly uh, students have learned that the to really focus on trying to hear what the other person has to say not to just kind of respond to them but to just to understand them yeah which is a whole different level of listening
0: absolutely So we can see the other side of the book yeah yeah and it all comes back and it all yeah plays well together absolutely I love that I do
2: so I haven't shared this with you but Everything that I'm working on, the book, the ministry, that is my twelfth step of recovery. So I I you know I me, mean, I go out of the bang with everything. <laughs> <laughs> you Jason? So my my philosophy on it was I want to help one person or a handful of people or I wanna help thousands of people. So that's the platform that I've kind of built is, yeah. is to do
1: that Yeah, you know, and and certainly within Side of within, side of twelve steps. There's even the thing that says, "Take what you want, and leave the rest." And so, you know, even with this podcast here, you know, it's not for me to determine how anybody, uh, should or hear this. It's right. how they hear it. You know, one of the things, the other part that I tell my students is that. Everybody in this class is hearing the exact same lecture. No one in this class is hearing the exact same lecture. Yeah. Because every single person in here has to interpret my words or whatever they hear through their own experiences and their own senses and their own life Mm -hmm. and try to make sense of it that way. And so, you know, as people listen to this podcast, each one of those listeners out there are going to be filtering this podcast through their own experiences that are right. unique to them and them alone. And it's not up to anybody of to say this is what they were supposed to get or this is what they should have gotten or whatever. They got what they got. Yeah. Yeah and based on their own experiences and you know doing the podcast it's really just kind of putting it out there and each person is left up to them how they choose to be able to use the information for their life however uh, hopefully for the betterment however that may be yeah
0: wow this has been a fantastic episode (laughs) I think this might be our best episode (laughs) I I think it's something we've really enjoyed having you you honor us do you have anything else Jason I mean we kind of we kind of covered all the bases I I, I don't have
2: anything else Um, I I think we covered everything that we were going
1: to yeah, cover yeah absolutely yeah. well rich is there anything else that you want to say uh before no, I, we I know one of the things that we have talked about you know maybe sometime in the future i really would like to kind of go a little bit more in depth in the whole concept of the trauma-informed care because i think that is really uh important and uh for the whole issue of what's out there and for a variety of different reasons, Absolutely. not just the historical trauma that the people that um, have that have gone in t- treatment about, but the historical trauma that's been going on. So, trauma-informed care, I think, would be a really great topic at some point in time.
0: Absolutely, we're going to have them to have on for a part two, Jason. <laughs> part two. How <laughs> about
2: you to read the book first?
0: okay I'll
2: give you a copy of the book here
0: yeah it should be yeah. we've been moving on that book so it should be coming out a little, little tidbit for all the listeners out there a little tease yeah. uh, we're getting close yeah I just got some of the artwork back today so. oh I'm excited I can't wait to see that yeah very cool well guys thank you so much for listening this has been episode number 10 with a bang uh, on spiraling our guest Rich Rosen uh, from uh, the, uh, a professor uh, for about 30 years now at the uh, Houston Community College uh, thank you for joining us you're welcome uh, really do enjoyed appreciate it, it. I, I enjoyed all your viewpoints and both the sides of the book and definitely some stuff that I'm going to steal and use my own <laughs> in my own life go thank for you it thank you all so much and uh, we'll see you next time bye bye